Good morning once again, and welcome back. I think we're finally back to our full strength in membership. Those who have been away or holidaying or at teen camp are all back. And if you haven't seen, you, you definitely have to look at Timothy and Raymond Sulu back from Fiji. That's very special, guys. Go ahead and stand up. Let us, let us have a look. That's what I'm talking about. After service, they prepared a special dance for us. And our, our brother and sister who lived in Rotorua for close to a year have now officially moved to Auckland. So Bong and Terry are here. Yeah. Very exciting. And there was a brother I talked with a couple weeks ago, and, and he informed me that yesterday was a very big day for him. He turned 50. So I just want to say a big happy birthday to John Atkins who turned 50 yesterday. That's a big one, bro. Happy birthday, man. That is awesome. That's very awesome. And what we'll do is say a prayer for the lobster's son, Caleb, who is currently at the hospital awaiting surgery to have his appendix removed. And she was... Per- Sharice was prevented from going to Melbourne. She was scheduled to to go to Melbourne today, but we'll take some time as a fellowship just to pray for that family and for the surgery and for all to go well. We know that God is gracious and has all things under his control, so we'll pray for that at this moment. God, thank you that we can bring everything to you under the sun, and right now we really pray for the Lobster family and John and Sharice and, and their peace. Give them peace and comfort, Father, and be with the doctors and be with Caleb, and Father, we just pray that you'll work everything out to be smooth as possible, God, and we pray for no health complications, and we pray that we can help the family be encouraged and stay strong and stay at peace and at comfort, God, and thank you that you give us privileges like this to see you work and chances to serve. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians. If you're visiting with us or friends or family, we're studying out the book of Galatians at the beginning of this year. We're looking at verses by verses, and that systematically go through the book of Galatians. And that way God dictates what the lesson is, not me or anyone else, right? That's what we believe. God really dictates all that. And, and, and pervasive in the book of Galatians is the idea of the, of the gospel. And how powerful it is. Oh, and, and James and Sarah are back from the U.S. I saw you peeking through. The, there you guys are. We are at full strength. I was waiting for the Browns, and the Browns are back. James and Sarah Brown are back in town. Uh, good to have you back. So the, the gospel is what really shapes all of our lives personally, and it shapes all of our lives as a church. And the book of Galatians really highlights the power of the gospel. And as we looked at last week, Galatians... Is this mic working? Galatians is not a city. It's a region. So there are four different cities in the region of Galatia that Paul and Barnabas visited. They planted churches and then they go to the next town. While they're gone, that's when Paul writes this letter. So again, if if you could place your mind in the frame of being in a region, which we are in the spa region, and someone were to write a letter to the entire region, it's a problem for every church in the region. And so we have to put our mindset in there. And they've questioned the authority of Paul. They've come in and talked to different people and said, he's not real, he's not, he's not authoritative. And so Paul is having to defend himself. 
Right? And so that's kind of the bigger context. And even further, I, I believe that in life, there are, there are many things that don't require a lot of explanation. They just require action. For instance, if I see a red traffic light, I don't have to contemplate, I don't have to have someone explain, I don't have to seek advice, I just know I need to act, I need to stop. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I know it's pretty clear, and and you should know equally as well, that if, if if you have a habit of consuming sugary substances and sugary drinks for a long period of time, that's not good. You probably don't need to pray about that. You probably don't need further clarity on that. You just need to stop consuming sugary substances, right? But there's also similar truths spiritually that we don't need like to pray about or further clarity or further explanation. We just need to act. And we need to act with courage and conviction. And I believe that's what the Bible gives Anybody is courage and conviction to stand on things that are clear and not budge. The Bible is crystal clear about salvation. And because that's true, the gospel should give us such such courage and conviction to stand firm that there is no other gospel. The gospel, the Bible is very clear about following Jesus, too, and that you can't follow Jesus and please people. That's very clear. We don't need to ask advice or to pray or, or seek further explanation. We just need to act and seek to please God. So in this passage, we, we do understand how Paul's life was changed to have such courage and conviction to stand and act on things that are clear. And likewise, our goal today is for us to have the courage and conviction to stand firm on what's clear. Amen? Amen. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And this is Paul, remember, he's not warm and greeting as normally he is in his letters. He gets right down to business. Come on in, sit on the couch, and let's get down to business. In verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The one who called you to live is a phrase Paul uses in his letters referring to God. God calls us to live this life full of grace. And so he said, I can't believe you've deserted God, not himself. Although he did preach the gospel to them. Verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's look at two points. First of all, there is no other gospel. There's only one. From Scripture, it's clear. From Paul's letters, it's clear. We don't need more explanation. We don't need more clarity. We just need courage and conviction to stand on this truth. What's happening? Paul and Barnabas come to town, and the essence of his message is, through grace, by faith, you are saved. And part of that message from Paul was, no need for circumcision anymore. 
and you see the brother says, amen, on the left over there. He's like, I'm fired up. So Paul and Barnabas come, and, and Paul's been converted, and he says, it's no longer required. Obedience to the law, not necessary anymore. All right? And the church believes that, and they convert. And then Paul and Barnabas go on their way, on their missionary journey, and plant other churches. While they're gone, another group of false teachers come in to the picture. And they have a different message. They're saying, hey guys, Paul's lying. To become a Christian, you have to obey the law still. Jesus is the Messiah and you should believe in Jesus. But you have to obey the law. Part of that is circumcision. So he's lying to you. You have to be circumcised as well. And so this is what's happening. And so they're... they're, they're They're saying that Paul is not giving you the whole story. He's just trying to win your favor. He's not telling you all of it because he he wants you to be on his side. And and it's dangerous because what Paul will say, it's really not a gospel at all, which is is very dangerous because these guys are not preaching a foreign religion. They're not preaching a secular religion. They're, They're believing in Jesus. They're saying, yes, Jesus is legit and, and all of that. But, they're, but they're, at, they're subtly adding something a little bit different. And you find it's not the overt claims that the gospel isn't true that are dangerous. It's subtle distortions of the gospel that are dangerous. Many denominations. I used to think, wow, why are there so many, you know? And you look, when I, I was searching and seeking for God, I looked in the phone book. A phone book for the youth is something that we used to use when you would call someone. There's a big, thick thing they put on your door. Now you just Google it. But you, you look through the yellow pages, and I mean hundreds upon thousands of churches. And when I, uh, when I was inputting data at one point in my life, you'd have to select a block. To, to describe your religion. And then I had to look through it. There was like thousands and thousands of denominations. It's like, that's crazy. But it's not so crazy. Because subtle distortions is more dangerous than overt claims that it's not true. And that's what this group is doing. They're coming in here and they're subtly saying, no, you need to do something else. Instead of just believe and be saved by grace and faith. And so at this point in the letter, that's what's going on in the church. And so at this point, Paul hears this news. He hears that other teachers have come in to these churches. And and at this point in verse 6, he says, man, I'm astonished that you guys are deserting. You're turning. Metatithabe is the word in the Greek, and it means to fall away from grace, to turn away. It's what people did in Greek culture when they went around and listened to different philosophers. And whoever spoke the best, whoever was most persuasive, they turned to that philosopher. Oh, he sounds smart. He sounds eloquent. He sounds persuasive. I believe this one. Wait, I believe that one. And Paul said, I'm astonished. You so quickly. I came and I preached the gospel. Somebody else came and you slid right over to their camp. I'm baffled. I, I, I can't believe it. Instead of resisting, you retreated. I'm astonished that you deserted God. And, and so he's, he's writing, I'm, I'm baffled. It happened so quick. Yeah. Imagine you hear news of a couple, newly married, on their honeymoon. While on the honeymoon, they say, we just can't do it. I'm calling it quits. That's crazy, right? Yeah. That's shocking. That's what's going on here. Paul said, it, it's been so quick. 
How did you desert? How did you leave? How did you turn so fast? I'm shocked. I'm baffled. I don't understand. And then he goes even further at 8 and verse 9. Hey, if somebody's preaching other than what you heard, the long and short of this is may they go to hell. If, if you're hearing something different, if somebody is preaching something different, let them be under God's curse. And he says, if me or an angel, which I find very challenging because angels in the Bible, they come with pretty good messages, right? And so he's saying, even if an angel comes, which there are religions that claim that their founder has been in contact with an angel and received special revelation. Paul saying, even if an angel comes with a different gospel, let them be under God's curse. And I think, and we should think, if there are people subtly trying to distort the gospel 2,000 years ago, for sure, they're trying to distort it today. It's a given. And so how are we to respond? Well, one interesting illustration is for us to think about counterfeit money, just for a second. Not that I want you to try to make some counterfeit money. But if you want to find out if it's counterfeit, you study the real thing. You don't study counterfeit money. The one on the bottom is counterfeit. The one on the top is real. There are subtle differences. And so it doesn't matter if you're in New Zealand or international. People that deal with counterfeit money study real money to detect counterfeit money. They look at it. They smell it. They touch it. They roll in it. I don't know if they roll in it. But they just get familiar with the real thing. So that that way when they see a counterfeit, there's, there's, something, there's something off. Kind of immediately. Either by touch, by feel, or smell, or, you know. And so if you were to, to do this with New Zealand money, with the banknotes, they're water resistant. If you didn't know, have a little experiment on your own. And stick a banknote in, in water. And uh, it's made of some plastic substance, so it should be no damage to the note if, or no ink blots or whatever. If there is, sorry, bro, sorry, sis, you got a counterfeit note. All right? So that's one of the ways you could tell. They also have these serial numbers that one's on the top and one's on the bottom. They should match. So next time you look at your banknote, make sure your serial numbers match. It's the real thing. If they don't, it's counterfeit. Also, if you hold it up to the light, there's these images that when they connect like a puzzle piece, which I think, oh, that's pretty clever, hey? You know, that's, that's pretty ingenious. So if you have a bank note, you hold it up to the light, you get no puzzle piece, you're going to jail. All right? So, but, but there's all these tests that you can do with counterfeit money, right? You can tilt it, and, and the color of the bird changes on a real bank note. If you tilt a counterfeit, the color of the bird doesn't change. Now, is anybody pulling out their nose to try this right now? That's not the purpose of this. But the, 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 the point is they're studying the real thing. They're looking at real money. And likewise, it's, it's equally true to understand the gospel and be convinced there is no other gospel. You study the gospel. You study your Bible. You open it and you read it and you study it meaningfully and deliberately. I like what Paul says, and, and to apply this personally into our communal life, I like what Paul says and what he doesn't say in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting and turning to another gospel. I thought he could have said, if only I had been there to help teach you and instruct you and guide you, this wouldn't have happened. But instead he says, I'm, I'm baffled. You're responsible. For your own personal.
personal knowledge about salvation. I taught you, but you are responsible. That's a big deal because throughout our life, we're going to all experience many transitions, right? And in each of these transitions, it's a bit wobbly and you're a bit vulnerable. And, but it, you're, we're all responsible for knowing the message of the gospel. All right? If you're a teenager, when you graduate, you go into the campus or you go into the singles ministry, you're going to experience at the university thousands of different philosophies, ideologies, and ideas. Some would sound very per, per, persuasive. Some would sound ridiculous. But if you haven't taken your responsibility to say, I want to study this for myself. When you get to the university, you're going to hear all these things and you're going to quickly turn and look for alternatives. Or if you're, if you're uh, going transitioning Bible talks, you know, cause that, that's kind of what we do when we grow. We'll, we'll transition our Bible talks as well and church life is full of transitions but when you transition and you haven't built relationships or you haven't studied the gospel for your own and and you transition and you start to kind of they're just uh, funny times right when you transition and you change but if you haven't really taken responsibility to to know the gospel those, those transition times can be times of uncertainty or church to church, it's difficult to uproot and move your family from church to church. And if you haven't come to the conviction that this is the gospel, there's only one, then these transition times provide opportunity for subtle changes in the gospel to creep in. Now, I've heard this way too often, and you've probably heard it too. The reason I'm weak is the guy who studied with me, you know, left soon after I got baptized. No one really followed up with me after conversion. I really wasn't able to connect or I really wasn't able to fit in with anybody. Now, yes, we should follow up with people. Yes, we should teach them. But stop making excuses for your personal salvation. It's sickening, right? Paul says, oh, I'm so sorry I left. I'm, I'm baffled. You've deserted. You're responsible. There's no other gospel. You think it's okay to be loose and everybody's saved and every church that says they're promoting Christianity is real? Not true. It's not clarity we need. We need courage and conviction. Now, lovingly, of course, but but we have to be courageous and, and have great conviction that not everything is gospel. That's what the Bible says. It's not okay to be sentimental if you feel like, I really know this person and their life is good. It's not okay. There's one gospel. There's no other one. And if they haven't subscribed to that, they have, it's not okay to be tolerant. That's the culture is dangerously tolerant. And I, I, I think that even if you're not a Christian, you're subscribing to some form of gospel message. Something you think is going to save you. And the the irony about that is you believe, oh, this will work for me, but your feelings and your attitudes change like the weather. So one day you'll think this is right, the next day you'll think the other. That will not save you. The only thing that will save you is the gospel message. So to counter this, we really need to study our Bibles, right? Every time you have a quiet time, it's investing in the gospel message. On our website, if you're a member, we have a... A tab called resources and it's accessible to all of our members and if you're not a member and you want to access this let me know you can get we're not trying to hide anything but it's just this it's 
privileges as members, right? So it, under the resource tab, what we have is I've recently loaded several things. Recently, the Women of the Word had their series, and, and you go to the resources tab. I've loaded all the Women of the Word slides. So if you want to go through that and restudy that, awesome. I've also added a Young Christian series. When you first become converted, there's a ton of material there you can read. Also, I've added eight different YouTube videos on how to have a quiet time. They're all from the Hampton Roads. How to study a character. How to have a topical Bible study. How to do whatever. You can look at those for one of your quiet times. But it's all designed. We have to take personal responsibility to grow in our Bible knowledge. Right? And at the bottom, there's a great resource called the Bible Project. If you haven't used it, it's incredible. But there's another series on the bottom of five different videos describing what the Bible is, how you should read it, and how it makes sense. But this is all to say we're all responsible. I'm responsible for teaching and equipping, but I'm also responsible for my own salvation. There is no other gospel. It's very clear. We need courage and conviction to stand on this, not more clarity. Amen? Secondly, we need to be God-pleasers. Not man-pleasers. I mean, that's very clear. In, in this passage, it's also very clear when Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life for me, you'll save it. You can't, you can't do both things. You can't please people and follow me. They're not compatible. And so in this passage, verse 10, Paul's asking these questions. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And in white is an interesting word that gives us insight into Paul's conversion. If I were still trying to please people, what does that mean? At one point, he did try to please people. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, what are these people saying? They're saying Paul is a flatterer. He's a man pleaser. Oh, here he comes. He's a man pleaser. Watch out, boy. He'll... Anyone? So he, he comes and he says, you know what? There, there's a message of circumcision, but I don't want to offend you. I don't want to ruffle your feathers. So I'll just tell you, it's all about grace and faith. I'll flatter you. I'll please you. And so when the, the opponents come in, they say, hey, you know, guys, Paul used to preach circumcision. Which he did. He says that later in Galatians 5, verse 11. If I were still preaching circumcision. At one point before he converts, he was. He goes around and he aggressively preaches circumcision. But now he's saying, if I were still trying to do that, would I be a servant of Christ? And, and let me tell you one more thing. You think I'm a man pleaser? You think I'm a flatterer? Listen to verse 8 and 9. That's anything but flattery. You think those guys have a different message? They can go to hell. That's, that's not flattery. That's not man-pleasing. He's not concerned with that. He's concerned with God. And listen, if I were still trying to please people, hey, look, at one point in my life, I did try to please others. I advanced in Judaism. I did all the right things. I ticked all the right boxes. I got all the right applause. And people were fired up about me. And I escalated the echelon of Judaism. And I did it somewhat to please God, but I also did it to please people. But if I was still doing that, I wouldn't be here as a servant of Christ. 
The way I'm responding in this letter shows I'm not concerned about man-pleasing. This is very, very challenging because man-pleasing is deeply ingrained in our culture. You're a child, you hear what your parents do, and, and you want to please them. You go to school, teachers give you rules, you try to please them. You get a job, your boss gives you a sign, you try to please. It's ingrained in our culture. To shift around, it reminds us of this story of a married couple who had a donkey and they were traveling through a few towns. In the first town they traveled to, the citizens saw them and they said, two people on that donkey, poor animal. What are they doing? And so they said, oh, geez, that, that's probably not good. We, we both shouldn't ride the donkey. So the next town they go to, they change their tactic. And now the man's on the donkey, and the wife is walking behind. And now the citizens of that town say, oh, my goodness, how cruel is he? His wife is walking, and he's riding. And so they say, oh, my goodness, what have we done? The next town they go to, they change their tactic again. Now the wife is riding the donkey, and the man is walking behind. And the citizens say, look at this guy, he's stupid, he's letting his wife ride it. I can't believe that. Why isn't he riding it? So they think, oh my goodness, what are we, we going to do the next town we go to? They're both walking, and the citizens say, man, these guys, they don't even know how to use the donkey. <laughs> it's like, everything they do, that's, that's our culture. Yeah. Whatever you try, it's not going to work on everybody. So stop trying to please man. That's what Paul's saying. Look, just try to please God. Being a disciple is not compatible with pleasing people. It's in me. It's in you. But Paul says, I was converted. I have courage and conviction to please God and not man anymore. If you're a people pleaser, you compromise in order to avoid conflict. And you know it, and you feel guilty, and you feel ashamed, but the gospel gives you courage to not please man, but please God. If you're a people pleaser, sometimes you overcommit. You don't know how to say no. You only know how to say yes, because you're afraid you might offend someone. If you're a people pleaser, sometimes you're even willing to let others limit your success, because you don't want them to criticize you if you do well. You can't win. You cannot win. People pleasers may not be respected, but they'll never be crucified. Jesus gets crucified because he stood for something. And I believe that the gospel gives us that similar conviction. When your life is changed by the gospel, you better stand by because the hammer and the nails are coming. When you take a stand and you say there's only one gospel, there's no other way, the hammer and nails are coming. But you can, you can try to please people and try to win the favor Nothing will happen. But this is what Paul is saying. I'm not trying to please people. I'm a servant of Christ. When you try to take stands as a disciple, whether it's in your family or on your job, beware. The shakedown's coming. The shakedown is coming. But Paul says we need to be servants of Christ, not man pleasers. If you're under the impression all oh, time will just sort it out, I'll say some statements, some vague statements to somebody to try to clear things up because I don't want to get too involved. That's not going to work. If, if, if you know that people are in error spiritually or doctrinally or they're not doing well, Paul says we've got to jump in and not be concerned about offending people. We have to love people enough to straighten out their error. And Paul gives us a very clear approach. Be strong, be loving, and be clear. When dealing with people who are in error. 
This, this is a great passage that, that really helps us understand Paul's passion as he's trying to defend himself and the gospel message. And, and it's really changed his life. Now he has courage and conviction. And he says with such clarity, there is one gospel, no other. And I believe as individuals and as a church, that's a stand we must take as well. To say that there is, there is no variations. And to take responsibility for that and study that and believe that on your own. And likewise, as individuals and as a church, we need to be a church that's concerned about pleasing God. Not one another, not man. And the gospel gives us the courage and conviction to live like that in a dangerously tolerant world. Let's all be servants of Christ. Amen.